Hi, friends, and welcome to Christ Church Online. We are kicking off a new focus in our Inner Workings of Worship series as we turn our attention to our praise and worship singing. Just a quick reminder that you can get our last series focus on fellowship by heading to our website, ccgf.org sermons, or on the Christ Church app. Throughout this upcoming series, we will be taking a look at what we do and what we mean when we join in song to praise our Lord. Throughout this series, we will be joined not only by our teaching pastors, but by the leadership of our worship team here. Today, to kick us off, you will hear from Brad Labakin, our Director of Music Ministry, as well as the Reverend Dr. John Guest. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, and it is uh, good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, uh, like Jared said, my name is Brad Liebach, and I'm the lead worship pastor here at the church, and I serve alongside uh, our choir director, Michael Knob, and our associate worship pastor, John Walton. And I, you're going to kind of hear a little bit of these like five-minute little sermon nets from us each week as we're in this series. Um, but a little bit more about myself. I've been at this church for 11 years. Um, I've been married for 11 years, and uh, we have a little three-year-old boy that's always running around this church. And so this church has been our home. We love this church. We love the heart of worship. That's God's already started here. Um, but that's what I'm going to be speaking on the, in the next moment here is, is that worship is a matter of the heart. And, uh, you know, what do we do in those situations when we're not feeling it in our heart? Um, if you're like me, you come in some Sundays and you just, you're not feeling like singing. You're not feeling like clapping. Um, maybe you've had a rough week. Maybe it's been a tiring day. Uh, maybe you just woke up. Uh, there's so many things. There's so many things you could be distracted by. Maybe um, you don't like the songs or the style of music. Or maybe you're angry at somebody. Or maybe you have sin in your life. Any of these things can distract our heart from worshiping God on Sunday mornings. And um, so what do we do when that happens? Because that's happened to me a lot, you know, and I'm the, the worship leader here. And so um, I think God's word has something to say about that. So I'm going to look at Psalm 40. It says this. This is a psalm of King David, who we, we know has a great heart of worship for the Lord. But even he had these troubles and these moments where he wasn't uh, feeling worship for the Lord. And King David said this about himself, Troubles surround me, they're too many to count. My sins pile up so high, I can't see my way out. I've lost all strength. It says that he felt like he was in a pit of destruction and stuck in miry clay. But then it says God did this in in verse 3, But then God lifted me from that pit. He set my feet on a rock. And this is the important line. God put a song of praise in my mouth, a hymn of worship. And uh, so what happened between David not feeling that heart for worship and just being distracted and then having this heart of worship where God put this song in his mouth? In Psalm 40, it says that David waited patiently on the Lord. And that, um, that term waited in the original uh, text of the, the Bible really means it's not like a passive waiting. It's more of like an expectation, like, God, my heart's not right before you. I've got all these troubles, but... I believe, Lord, that you can meet me in this place. I believe you can change my heart. And so the practical kind of takeaway for us is on Sunday mornings when we come in here, maybe you're, you've got that distracted heart. Maybe you're overwhelmed by things. Um, you're just not feeling close to the Lord. Start in that place that David did. Say, Lord, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm just not feeling a heart of worship this morning. Um, I'm not feeling these songs. 
you know, I'm not feeling this style, but it's about you, Lord. And so change my heart. Give me a new heart of worship like King David. And, um, you know, I believe God will meet us in that place. And there are, there are certain times, too, on Sunday mornings when we come and it's just, um, we have to have faith that God's just going to change our heart as we're worshiping even. I had this happen to me Thursday night. Um, this Thursday is when we practice as a band. And I had a really rough day, a rough week. In a short period of time, both of my cars broke down with expensive repairs. My garage roof fell in. I had a flooded basement. Uh, my band on the road, our soundboard broke down in the middle of a show. And then on Thursday night, my hard drive to my computer broke, which has all kind of like family photos and really important stuff on it. And so I came to Thursday night practice like, Lord, I just, I don't feel worship at all. I feel stressed out. I feel angry, all these things. And I just said to the Lord, I was just going to be honest, I need you to change my heart because I can't sing these songs right now. And But then I just, as an act of faith, I started singing those songs to the Lord. And as I started focusing on him, all those things started to fall into the background. It's like that hymn we sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Uh, May that be our prayer every time we come in on a Sunday morning. Um, So I hope that helps us individually. But corporately, as a a church, in this whole series, this whole 30-day series, we're going to do something called the Worship Music Challenge for the whole church. Um, And there's two parts to this. We... Throughout, throughout the series, we want you to wake up every morning and say, Lord, give me a heart of worship like King David. Change my heart. Give me a heart for prayer. Give me a heart for your word. Give me a heart of living a life of worship. And that's where we start. But alongside of that, we want to challenge you to listen to nothing but Christian music that's Christ-centered for the next 30 days, that you and your family would take that challenge. Um, you can go on the Christchurch website and sign up that you're taking that challenge, that um, you're going to join us in this. Um, and it, I would say this, if you normally listen to contemporary, listen to a lot of hymns. If you listen to a lot of hymns, listen to contemporary. And challenge yourself, because it's really about Christ. It's about the heart that we bring to him. It's not about music. Uh, one of the best moments I ever had with worshiping the Lord was in a small church, to a lady playing an organ, to a song I didn't know. And it was just because my heart was just so full of love for the Lord, and I was just seeking him and fixed on him. And it just overflowed naturally. Songs are just the vehicle. We just want to be about Christ and giving him our hearts. So let me pray for us real quick as we take that challenge. God, I pray that everyone in this room would take that challenge seriously, Lord, to listen to nothing but Christian music for 30 days and to pray that prayer that you would give us a heart of worship like King David had. And God, I pray that you would keep these things in our hearts and our minds and that we would focus our songs of worship on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bow your heads with me as we talk to the Lord. This Lord we've just heard sung about, give me love above all else. Give me love. As you come and give us love, love, Lord, your love, your powerful, amazing love. You change our hearts. Change my heart, O God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O God. Make me more like you. So take my lips, Lord, now and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts, Lord Jesus, 
Give us a heart to worship you. Take our hearts, Lord, and set them on fire with love for you. That's our prayer. We pray this for your name's sake, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, as we go into this now series on worship, dealing with the inner workings of worship, but addressing the issue of worship itself. I have the privilege of being the preacher and leading us, teaching us as we enter into that. And I need you to be praying for me. I just prayed for myself that he would take my lips as well as I prayed for you that he'd take your minds and then all of our hearts as well as our wills. But to address the issue of worship and the object of our worship, the Lord himself. It's such an overwhelming subject. So as I enter into that, you be praying that God would take my lips and speak through them, as well as your minds to think through them. Listen to this. Someone wrote, The worshiper attends faithfully every Sunday. Oblivious to those around him, he concentrates intently on the object of his worship. All week he has prepared for this moment. He has read about the one he adores. He has talked about this day with others. And when he leaves hours later, his face is aglow with praise and thanksgiving for what he has experienced. His team won 13-10. Football fans on Sunday often reflect a truer attitude of worship than the average Christian in church. When the worship of God is superseded by the worship of a game, something is wrong. Many of you know the name Chuck Swindoll. He was, maybe still is, great teacher on the radio, teacher of God's word. He said this, most of us worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. Let me say it again. We worship our work. We work at our play. And we play at our worship. You wouldn't know this normally speaking, but the word liturgy, which describes an order of worship has at its root in the Greek language, work. That when we gather to worship, we are meant to come and work at it. It's not a matter of being sitting in a pew and being entertained, or in some sense, just being moved emotionally. But what we bring to the party what we bring to our worship service is ourselves 
And when Scripture commands us to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength, it takes energy and effort. It is not a lame pursuit. It is not drifting downstream on a Sunday afternoon under a pleasant summer sky. We come and give ourselves to it. And if all of us, as we worshipped, were working as hard as those who are leading worship and giving ourselves to it with the same energy, it would be a transforming experience just to turn up and worship. For everybody who comes, ourselves included, and those who may be just visiting, to enter into that and carry it along with it. We're going to be looking at John chapter 4 as a starting place because amazingly, Jesus talks about worship and the kind of worship that the Father is looking for. And the kind of people who are going to bring that worship. Page six in your service sheet is this discussion that Jesus enters into with a woman, Samaritan woman at a little town called Sychar in Samaria. And they get into this conversation and it drifts into a discussion about worship and where we should worship. And the big discussion was between the Samaritans, who thought that it was okay to worship at their worship center in Samaria, and the Jews who said the place to worship is Jerusalem, where the temple is. Jesus, as he is confronted with that discussion, led by this lady, says to her, look, the day is coming, now is. That time is on its way. In fact, as far as he could see it, it was there. This is Jesus speaking. He said, the day is coming when people will worship neither in this place nor Jerusalem. But they will worship in spirit and in truth. And such the Father seeks to worship him. God is spirit, said Jesus, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now there are all kinds of opinions about how worship should be and what it should be, but at its heart, even deeper discussions about who God is and how we should worship. And today in this world of, I guess, relativity, All churches, all religions are seen to be equally okay so long as you're there and sincere. Which of course misses the possibility of being sincerely wrong. But when Jesus is speaking, Jesus, God in the flesh, Jesus who as he's speaking to this woman Hears her then say again to him, look, we know that the Messiah is coming and when he comes, he will lead us into all the truth. To which Jesus then said, I who speak to you am he. 
I who speak to you am he. You want to know what the truth is about worship? Here is the Messiah, Jesus the Lord, God in the flesh, leading us into all the truth. When we get into the discussion of worship, he says, God desires people. He is looking for people who will worship in spirit and in truth. Because God is spirit, worship has to be spiritual in spirit and in truth. I want to take those two ideas just for a moment. To worship in spirit. It's a spiritual exercise. God himself is spirit. And when we connect and communicate with him, it is a spiritual exercise. Now to put that in a larger context, God is above nature. He is supernatural. He is spirit. And when we worship him, it's a supernatural event by people who've been supernaturally changed and supernaturally given a heart to worship him. This is chapter 4 of John's Gospel. Chapter 3 explains that perfectly when a very religious man comes to Jesus, in contrast to this woman who was something of a mess. This religious leader and teacher comes to Jesus. He actually came at night because he didn't want to be seen coming to Jesus. And he has this secret conversation with him that becomes very, very public here in John's Gospel. And he concedes in speaking to Jesus that Jesus must be from God. Otherwise, he couldn't do the things that he was doing, the miraculous stuff, the supernatural things, the above-nature things the miraculous things. He couldn't do them. Jesus didn't get into a conversation about that. He cut right to the chase. And he said, very straightforwardly to this religious leader, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He's describing spiritual rebirth to be born of water and the Spirit to be made a new creation. And unless that happens, he can't even see the kingdom of God. You must be born again, Jesus said. Born from above, that can be translated. Born of the Holy Spirit is the action. The only way we can offer supernatural spiritual worship is to be born again spiritually. To be transformed by God's spirit in our inner workings, in our inner heart and soul. Because to worship God is a spiritual event. It's not just singing songs. It's not just gathering. It's not just playing religion. We who have the spirit of God in us are inspired by that spirit. Changed by that spirit. Given a heart to worship God by that spirit. God's Spirit, so that we, in worshipping him, worship him in spirit. It's not just words, it's not just ideas, it's not just theology. 
It's a spiritual event that only spiritually born-again people can offer. And then he goes on to speak about it being true. The truth. Not just to have some emotional, subjective, religious experience, but is it about the truth? Is it God that we are worshipping? The God whom Jesus Christ came to reveal to us? The God whom Jesus called his Father, his intimate? That God and the truth about that God. It's not just any God and it's not just anybody's idea about who God is. But is it true? And that's a battle. Because for I don't know how many decades now, we've been pummeled with the whole relativism, existentialism, that all things are kind of the same, mushy, subjective. It all depends how you feel, your God, your feelings, how you see things. Is it true? And the reason we preach so adamantly from the word of God is that Jesus spoke about this word as being the truth as well as himself being the truth. I want to take you to a glimpse of the worship of heaven. It's in Revelation chapters 4 and 5 to speak about the truth of worship. You've got here a series of images and responses in worship of Almighty God by the community of heaven. Listen to these words. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's the book of Revelation, chapter 4 and verse 8. John in the Spirit on the Lord's Day worshipping has this vision of the worship of heaven. And they are crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The very first reason we worship and the great truth we've got to grasp is God for who he is. This is about who God is. Not what he's done in the first place, but who he is. And they are crying out, holy, holy, holy. Now that may be holy father, holy son, holy spirit. But one of the devices of human language and communication is when you want to heighten and get people's attention concerning any piece of truth or conversation, you just double up on the word. Really? Really, really. I just did it. I could say more about that. I've just got to keep moving here. But when you've got holy, 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 there is nothing in God's word that is heightened to this three or thrice said description. Holy, holy, holy. Jesus often said, 
Verily I say to you, that is truly I say to you. And often he said more. He said truly, truly I say to you. It's the same device. In other words, pin back your ears and hear. Jesus said to the religious leader, truly, truly I say to you, you must be born again. Not more religion, not more information, a spiritual experience of being born again. Truly, truly, he said. God is holy, holy, holy. How do you convey that? Holiness is not just the mere absence of any corruption or pollution. Like an operating room that's been made absolutely pure and free from any disease or germs or whatever. That's often what we think about when we hear the word holy. But the word is a full word. God is holy in his love. It's the fullness of his love. One theological communicator has said this. Holiness is to God what light is through a prism. When you put light through a prism, you get the colors of the rainbow. If you could put God's holiness through a prism, all the great attributes and qualities of God would be shining out bright and clear. Holiness is the greatness of all that God is. And he is holy, holy, holy. That holy. Yes, he is pure. But he's pure in his love. He's pure in his desire for you. He is pure. When he created this world, he made all things good in the first place. Then we screwed it up. That's who we worship. We sing the hymn, holy, holy, holy. That's intense holiness. One of the things I would encourage you to do is to get to church here early and be quiet. It's not about coming in for the entertainment and the show. It's here for God and to worship him and to get here in time so that you can spend time in his presence and quietly get yourself adjusted to what you're here for. There's a beautiful statement in this picture of heaven where heaven was silent. They've got all these cries and shouts, thousands upon thousands. But there is one moment when for one minute the whole of heaven is silent. You feel it. For you to come and be quiet in the presence of God Get yourself acclimatized for what's going to happen as we come together. Because God is awesome. We use the word awesome, awesome, as you say, awesome, in a whole variety of ways. But God is awe-inspiring. It's who he is in the first place. And then it goes on to say, two other reasons why we worship And they are expressed in worship. Chapter 4 and verse 11. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. 
You are worthy. Worship is showing his worth-ship. God is worthy. When we worship, we show his worth-ship. And he is worthy of all praise because he created everything. He is the Lord creator. He created us and all that is. We often battle in our culture today those who worship the the creature rather than the creator. They worship the creation rather than the creator. When we worship the Lord, he will never disappoint us and he will never, ever, in any sense, when we worship him, find some way to bring us down. But when we worship someone or something else, we will. When you worship the creation rather than the creator, it's destructive. It's a killer. Listen to these words from Romans chapter 1, verse 24. They exchanged the truth of God. I'm actually reading verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of their perversion. When you worship anything other than the living God, it will destroy. Whether it's family, wealth, physical beauty, sexual pleasure. We have been made to worship. And when we don't worship God, we will find someone or something else to worship. So people have found creation to worship. And the products of creation would seem to be that the idolatry today of sex in our culture is absolutely destructive. And it's everywhere present, this idolatry. Nobody dare say anything about anybody else's sexual behavior. It's the one thing that nobody can change or touch about our culture. As if we, with a licentious, do-your-own-thing, sexual proclivity, go after it. And it's destructive. What a bunch of nonsense. Now, where are we going that we have to have boys and girls go to the same bathroom? And especially for those who don't even know whether they really are boys or girls. And have got like feelings about things. I understand the nature of that problem. But to float that out there as valid. And an okay behavior so that, well, look, let's get rid of boys and girls bathrooms and everybody turn up, whatever you are, so there you are. It's part of the same idolatry and confusion. And it's destructive. It's not just disruptive. It's a destroyer. 
But worshipping the living God will never destroy and never disappoint. When you worship your husband or wife or marriage or family or your career or your church or your ministry or anyone or anything else other than the Lord himself, you will be disappointed and you will be in some sense destroyed by it, ruined by it. But when you worship God, never destroyed, never disappointed. He is the creator of all things. That's the truth. You worship him in truth, you worship him in that spirit. And the third reason that's given again in this magnificent picture in chapter 5, verse 6 says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if he had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. And in verse 9, they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So verse 12, with a loud voice they sang. Now they're not saying or shouting. Now they're singing. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all of them singing. Oh, listen to this. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory forever and ever. The third great reason given for our worship is that God has rescued us from our sin and our corruption and our perversion. Because the Lamb is Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is the worship of heaven directed to the Savior who came in obedience to the Father and laid down his life as a sacrifice on the cross that we might be forgiven all that corruption and perversion and sin and be made new and clean. That's the truth. When you worship God in truth, it's a holy God and in his holiness defines everything else. It's his holiness that defines sinfulness. Outside of his holiness, it's all up for grabs. But God being holy, holy, holy defines humanity as sinful, sinful, sinful. And it's in that dilemma that God entered with his son Jesus, the Lamb of God, to become the Savior of the world. That's why we worship. A holy God who created us all in the first place and rescued us in the second place. Let's bow our heads and pray to him. Oh Lord, give us that sense right now of being in your holy, holy, holy presence. Oh Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, grasp us, our minds, 
our hearts, our wills. Holy, holy, holy God. Thank you for the gift of our mortal lives. And thank you for the gift of our immortal lives as we've put our trust in your son Jesus. Help us to worship you, to show forth your worthiness for who you are and for what you have done. To love you with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul and strength. With all the energy and intensity that we are able, Lord, to love you and thereby adore you. Thank you, Lord, for these moments to be quiet with you and grasp the truth and worship you in truth as a spiritual and wonderful experience because of your spirit at work in us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.